How can we make our love for others more effective? When it comes to human mistakes in loving, what can we learn from the troubles God's first family faced? Dr. Joel Hunter will discuss this and more as he begins his series, Trouble in the Best Marriages. Although he is using marriages as his example in these messages, Dr. Hunter says these teachings are applicable and basic to any relationship. His first subject will deal with deciding without discussing. And Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 through 6 will be Dr. Hunter's scripture text, and it reads as follows. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely shall not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. She gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. This morning we make a transition in this year of preaching about relationships. We are transitioning from talking about the theological foundation of relationships, why God made us for relationships, and we transition to how to effectively love in those relationships. And specifically what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks are the age-long problems in relationships. They were in the best of marriages. They were in the marriage of Adam and Eve, as a matter of fact. And they are even pre-sin. They are, some of them, some of them are, are uh, just natural human tendency, as is the one we speak about this morning. Now, as usual, we're going to have a little drama uh, kind of uh, picturing for you an example of this particular tendency. Um, this has, one, has to do with uh, our natural tendency to be isolated because we want to do things that we know won't be permitted by other people. Listen to this as we return to the days of our lives. Like smog clouding the horizon, like sand through the egg timer, like that annoying thing flashing 12 o'clock on your VCR, so flash the days of our lives. Since we last saw Jessica, she has had her pregnancy confirmed and her younger sister baptized. Eric has completely recovered from his cold, but has entered straight into a thirty-something just-got-married midlife crisis and is presently at Henri's Classic and Muscle Cars. 
we join Jessica at home knitting booties for the baby. Knit one, purl two, knit one, purl, purl, come on, purl. Pearl Jam. <laughs> oh well, little Eric or Ericina. Your father is out hunting and gathering for us right now. Mm, you know it's going to be rough at first, but uh, your father's going to take good care of us. I know we'll be tightening the belt, but. I think things are going to be just fine. Hello, zwei kidneys. It's German. It means two good kidneys, one apiece. This is Jessica. <laughs> Hi, Eric. I was uh, just talking to the baby about you. Our baby, Eric. Remember our baby? Okay, okay, okay. I'm all ears. Well, I'm not all ears. I'm mostly belly. I'm half ears and half bellies for you. No, half ears, not half fears. Eric, I don't have any fears. Okay, calm down. No, just an incredible craving for a hot and now burger. I- I'm sorry, dear. You're where? Is there something wrong with the car? Oh, a dealership. What are you doing at a car dealership? Honey, honey, you are working hard enough. You don't have to take on a second job. Oh, you're looking at a car. Oh. <laughs> well, what time will you be home? What do you mean I don't understand? You're looking at a car. That's not complicated. Oh. You're looking at a car. <laughs> Eric, Eric, are you crazy? We have a car. A Geo is too a car. <laughs> Eric, don't use that kind of language. Oh, sorry, honey. Someone's on the other line. Well, it might be the doctor. No, this is not more important than a call from the doctor. Boy, sometimes your perspective really lacks perspective. Hold, please. Hello. Hello. This is Susan. I'm looking for. Hello. 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 Eric. I don't know. Somebody named Susan. I guess she had the wrong number. Unless, of course, Susan is the name of your car salesman. Honey, I just don't think this is the. Right time for us to be looking at a new car. Well, it would still be new to us. Y- you're right, dear. I, I'm sure I don't understand the nuances of the car market's ups and downs. It's just that our finances are. St- Eric, Eric! Oh my gosh, are you all right, Eric? Eric, what's wrong? Speak to me. You're right, dear. I did forget that sometimes your missing kidney flares up. <laughs> yes, dear. Thank you for my life. <laughs> oh, 
Okay, okay, go go ahead. Tell me all about the car. No, I've never heard of a 77 Smokey and the Bandit edition Trans Am. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. I, uh, <clears throat> I bet it's an American classic. I'm, I'm sure it goes like stink. Eric, how much does this cost? <laughs> what? <laughs> Eric, we can't afford that. No, not even with 411 pause attraction and a shaker hood. No, this is ridiculous. Eric, come on. No, no, no. You cannot buy that car. When did you sign the papers? Well, we'll tear them up. Tear them up and hand them back to the salesman. You're not exactly there anymore? Honey, honey, I'm having trouble hearing you. The, this phone, there's something wrong. A car phone. Oh, you, uh, you made them throw that in as part of the deal. And a radar detector, because it goes like stink. Well, oh yeah, honey, I I am very proud of your negotiating skills. <laughs> okay, dear. Well, um, well, bring it home and let me see it. It what? Yeah. Okay, I'll pick you up. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. I'm uh, I'm sure I have jumper cables in the geo. Okay. Bye. Will Eric make it home in his new broken car? What will Jessica's reaction be to this spontaneous purchase? Will their new marriage withstand these typical crises? Will we finally be meeting Susan soon? Let not your hearts be troubled, as all the answers await on the next days of our lives. So there is this tendency in us to make decisions and to take action without consultation of our spiritual partner. This is not new. As a matter of fact, if you will turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, you will see this is as old as mankind. I will begin reading with verse 1. I will read haltingly. That is, I will halt every once in a while to explain uh, what I think will give you a fuller comprehension of this passage. And then we will go into the teaching. Now, the serpent was more crafty. Some of you have in your versions subtle. I like that. Subtle. The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman... Now, he's not talking to both of them. He's isolating the woman. He's just talking to her. He said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Now, I want you to see what he's doing here. Because he does the same thing these days. When the serpent is trying to open us to temptation, 
Sometimes he doesn't take it by degree. Sometimes he lets us see something or lets us hear something that is so totally outrageous, so far away from where we are that we feel where we are must be radical and weird. You see what he did with God. He stated just the opposite as was the case. Did God say you couldn't eat from any tree around here? When really the truth was, God had given her every tree of that garden to eat from except one. You see, he stated the complete opposite. But what she heard was, wait a minute, there's limitations here. I must be weird because I was feeling like I was, I was free and I had all I needed. Satan does the same thing these days. He will let you see something so totally outrageous that you feel your position is radically conservative when it's really the right position. Read on with me. And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, lest you die. Now again, this is subtle, but I want you to see it. If Satan can be subtle, we need to read the subtleties. I want you to see that the only place she connected the word God, the person God, was with the limitation. She didn't say, God has given us the fruit from the trees of the garden. She only said, God has said, you shall not touch it or eat from it or touch it lest you die. So you see, in her mind already, she has confined God to the limitations in her life, not connected him with the provisions of her life. And so therefore, she becomes fixed on God and how this is such a limitation that she begins to exaggerate the limitation. She adds words that weren't said to Adam. You shall not eat from it or touch it. God never said you shouldn't touch it. It's a dumb thing to do to touch it. It's a dumb thing to do even to be around it. But, you see, she's beginning to build up this limitation to such an important fixation in her mind that she's exaggerating it. Read on. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely shall not die. Now get this tone. You surely shall not die. One of the things that Satan does very well in our conversations with each other is to say, lighten up here. Come on, this can't be that big a deal. It's fruit for crying out loud. Come on. And then, you know, I appreciate Adam and everything, but you know how he hasn't got a mind for details? He probably just didn't tell you exactly what God said. This can't be right. This can't possibly be right. And so, too, in our lives... When we begin to look at areas of temptation, there, there comes this voice inside of us. You've got to be kidding. You think that's going to ruin your life? Come on, it's just a little deal. It's not that big a deal. Surely you jest. You surely shall not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened 
And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, there are about a hundred sermons in that verse, but let me just give one little snippet to you. There is a gross misunderstanding of God that comes out of this verse in the general public. And that is that they believe that God was trying to limit intellectual knowledge. That's not at all what God was trying to do. There is no problem with knowing the concepts of good and evil. As a matter of fact, they must have known the concepts of what was right and what was wrong, or they couldn't have made the wrong choice and been held responsible for it. So certainly they had an understanding. We've already discussed how God put Adam as the first scientist to observe the nature of the animals. It was not just a, you're a aardvark, you're a buffalo kind of afternoon. He observed those animals so long that he knew their nature. He categorized them according to their behavior. It was the first scientific study on record. Adam was a growing intellect and so was Eve. So it's not that God wanted to limit our intellectual knowledge, but you must understand that in the Hebrew culture, you don't take in knowledge without its effect on you. And what is taken in has relation. The whole Hebrew culture is relationship-oriented. There's not, like in, in Greek, in Greece, in the Greek culture, there is the, well, it's just a fact. It doesn't affect our lives. It's not here or there. It's just an objective fact. That's not true in the Hebrew culture. In the Hebrew culture, when you take something into yourself, it becomes a part of you. And so therefore, what God was saying by saying, don't eat of that tree, is he was saying, don't take evil inside yourself and have a relationship with it. That's what knowing good from evil means. It's, you know, in the fourth chapter of Genesis, the first verse, it says, Adam knew Eve and they begat. They're not talking intellectual relationship there. They're talking about an intimate relationship into which you become a part of each other. And so what God was trying to protect them from was taking evil into themselves so that it would be intimately involved in their character. He was protecting them. But now look what happens. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise... She took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her. Did you get those two words? Three words. Her husband with her. And he ate. Now, before I start, let me give a couple of warnings. Because you're going to need a couple of warnings for this one. What I'm going to say this morning is to the believing community who happens to be present here. This is not for those of you who are pre-Christian or just exploring the idea of God. You will not really agree with what I have to say. And it's, it's fine. I, I certainly understand why you wouldn't. But this is for the Christian community. Secondly, you must realize that what we're talking about this morning is hard to listen to. It's hard to hear. This is not one of those joyful, uh, came, came to church to feel good kind of messages. Because we're going to talk for the next few weeks about what can absolutely devastate relationships. And we're going to look them face to face. And that's not a pleasant experience. So, 
If you see people get up and walk out, don't be shaken. Uh, we may lose a few, uh, but this needs to be said because we need to be honest about how, who we are and how we're built. Satan has not changed his strategy for thousands of years. His strategy has always been to isolate and then to fascinate. You can write this down if you're taking notes. Write these words down. To isolate, to fascinate, and then, this is a word from my old history professor. He used to love to, to use this word, to mitigate, to lessen, to make seem trivial. Isolate, fascinate, and mitigate. He went to Eve apart from her husband. She was standing there with him physically. You understand you can live apart mentally and be together geographically. Went to her and began to talk with her in isolation. Now, it wasn't a scary conversation. Because you get from the Hebrew for the word serpent, these two meanings. Uh, Ruth Muntz came up with this in her book. He said, she said, you know, the Hebrew word for serpent, nakash, means not only the shining one, i.e., 2 Corinthians 11.14, Satan sometimes comes disguised as an angel of light, the Bible says. Not only does the serpent in Hebrew mean the shining one, but listen to this, it also means the one that fascinates its prey. That's the character of the serpent. Eve is fascinated with this serpent in this conversation. She was also within the geography of the temptation. She has put herself right up against the limits that she knows she has, and she's standing there. And she's looking at this beautiful tree, fascinated by this calm voice that then begins to say, you know what, this is not that big a deal. You he can't be serious. You can't have gotten this thing right. And begins to lessen her fears and lower her defenses until she begins to think, watch this, of good reasons to do the very thing she knows is wrong. That is the last stage of temptation, by the way. And I guarantee you, if you hang around temptation long enough, you will begin to think of good reasons why you can do that. And it's not so bad. As a matter of fact, in some ways, it's good. That's how Satan works. Benjamin Franklin, who was not an evangelical Christian, but still a very wise man, said, How convenient it is that we are reasonable creatures. Because it means that we can think of good reasons to do anything we want. That's exactly our nature. If we are fixed on a temptation for long enough, which doesn't take very long, by the way, we will begin to think of the benefits of that. How to make the carrying through of that temptation good in a way. Let me, let me give you an example. Somebody gave me this week a, uh, a newspaper from a local high school here. And I won't tell you which one because it could be any one of the high schools uh, around here or anywhere probably for that matter. I, I started to read through the articles and 
I don't know why I still get taken back at these things, but, you know, I was just kind of... I mean, they have the obligatory article about safe sex. Their obligatory article about legalizing marijuana and how it would, uh, quote, um, make a better society in which to live, unquote. Um, there is something... Uh, kind of unusual in that they, they trash, uh, in a way, traditional religion. These are pictures of Jesus Christ up and down in the thing. And talk about how Christians, conservative Christians really need to uh, get with it and uh, live in the real world. Because um, Christianity just can't ha- handle the real problems of the real world. You know, one of the things that, that I think is so pitiful is that people live in a world where they make synonymous the real world with crap. You know, when they look at a Christian and say, you guys don't live in the real world. And what they mean is you're not living in crap. So therefore, your world must not be real. How many people want to live in crap? And make that your world. It makes no sense. My world's every bit as real as the one she lives in. It, I just, it's pitiful. But here's the article. Well, I haven't even got started yet. Here's the article. There's an article entitled, Would it be okay to party safe and stay home? And it's about somebody taking the responsibility to have drinking parties at their house. Now, listen to the reasoning here. Because it's so typical, not of what kids do, but what of adults do. Listen to this. You know, cool, I can get some beer, so on and so forth. Talks about drinking parties. And then it says, what if the conditions were made just a bit safer? Well, now, that's good to be safe, isn't it? Yeah, oh, safe, that's good. Let's have everyone stay the night. No outside wandering, or at least not far. Driving is off limits. Oh, that's good. How about even throwing in some person who'd volunteer to stay sober the whole night. (laughs) Holy cow! We're almost up to sainthood here. (laughs) And then they get, you know, get a little bit of moralistic here. Well, you know, drinking and driving is one thing. But if you're staying in one place, I don't see what the problem is. And, of course, there's kids that, you know, just get too drunk and... Hop around like a monkey and drool all over everyone. And occasionally it says cigarettes and other drugs end up at the party in the hands of party members and somehow get used up. <laughs> but it says having fun is not bad. And then it says that a majority of students polled in this particular school seem comfortable with it. I love this. As long as it doesn't happen every weekend. And then it says this. The worst that could happen would be everyone waking up to a hangover. No, the worst that could happen would be everyone waking up in hell. That's the worst that could happen. Because we have so trivialized the damage that we do to ourselves and other people. And we have so rationalized what we want to do. Listen, do you understand how all of us think with our desires? How all of us have the tendency not to work things through, to 
what kind of spiritual ramifications that behavior is going to have on us. Why? Because we want to do it. And so therefore we don't talk about it. And we don't think it through. Do you understand that Satan doesn't care if you're a Christian or not? He's coming after you. He doesn't care about your degree of inness with the Lord as far as whether or not he's going to tempt you. Sure, he tempts pagans. And he gets pagans to forfeit their life in silly activities when they had so much potential. Alexander the Great conquered the entire known world. You know how he died? Asphyxiating on his own vomit from being drunk. And then there's biblical character of Samson who's been called a judge, to be a judge, to do good. And he gives up his strength because of his lust for a woman. He doesn't care about how spiritually mature you are. He'll come after you anyhow in any subtlety he needs to. You know, Mike Tyson supposedly was a Christian before he went and got convicted for this last particular thing he did. Not very mature, supposedly a Christian. But the same thing happened to Jimmy Swaggart, almost. In that he got so caught up. Now, I believe Jimmy Swaggart loves God. And I believe Jimmy Swaggart has a heart for God. And wants to build God's kingdom. And I believe he is pure in his motives. But Jimmy Swaggart never came to the place, evidently, where he says, I have such a problem, I can't handle this. I can't do this. Somehow he thought he didn't have to communicate it, and so he could overcome the sin in his life. Well, Jimmy Swaggart isn't strong enough to do that, and neither are you, and neither am I. We've got to realize the viciousness of this sin habit and sin memory in us. Now, if you're a Christian, it is not your nature anymore. Because you have the nature of Christ, you've been given a whole new nature. But biologically, what you have in your brain, in your, in your gray matter are these addictions and memories and habits that are still tremendously vicious. And that's what Satan uses. I heard a story a couple of weeks ago about a man who was raising a, a cub tiger in India. And he raised it for a while. And of course, the, you know, the, gosh, they're so cute. And, and when he was raising it, you know, he'd a tiger chew around his hand. And of course, he wouldn't powerful enough to do anything, you know, and he'd bat him around. And he'd love this pet, you know. Played with this pet. And as he, as he continued to raise him and, and, and love him and, and be friends with him, he, you know, kind of a thought, well, maybe this isn't, maybe this can be a pet, you know. And then one day, the tiger was playing and bit his hand. And for the first time, that tiger tasted human blood. And the man said something happened that could not be denied. There was something in his eyes. He changed in an instant. And I picked up a gun and shot him dead. Why? Because that's not a pet. That's an animal. And because you can't deny the nature of an animal. Why do we think we can deny the savagery of sin that resides in our temptations and in our heads? Why do we think oh, it's just a pet? It's no big deal. 
It's got the same determination to destroy us. And so therefore, we keep away from people because we don't want them pointing that out to us. We don't want to listen to those messages. We want to do what we want to do. Maybe if I can just hang around the tree. I won't fall prey to the same thing these other silly people do. Let me ask you a question. If Eve, who did not have the nature of sin and no memory of sin, cannot be around that temptation without falling into it, how can you? How can I? What's more, how can your kids? Now, let me just say something to you. Just remember, I'm, I'm going I'm to make you mad. I know I am. Get up, walk out. It's okay. But let me get the first part of this out. Not yet. Let me get the first part of it, Tim. <laughs> Any parent who sends their kids or gives their kids permission to go to a high school party is not only being naive, but they are literally saying, go stand by the tree and listen to Satan. You are delivering your kid into the geography of temptation and expecting them to withstand temptation you couldn't withstand if you were there. Don't kid yourselves. Please. And I know you're saying, well, you know, I don't want my kid to be a geek. Well, here are two or three things. First of all, if you want your kid to love God, there's going to be a limitation to the number of friendships he or she has. You've got, to, you've got to know that. Loving God limits your companionship. It does. Second of all, whose approval are you trying to get for your kid here? The people who can't handle life? People who think it's funny for a monkey to jump around and drool? And what? I mean, what, who are you trying to make your kid popular with? You've been, you've been reading way too many developmental... Well, every kid goes through a period of rebellion and, you know, they've got a field in their peers and all that. Listen, you don't understand the seriousness of this. You've got, you've got to be able to say, no. You've got to take the responsibility. And when they look at you and say, don't you trust me? You need to look at them and say, of course not. <laughs> I've been a Christian for 25 years. I'm chasing after God as hard as I can, and God's chasing after me, and I don't trust me. Am I going to trust a 16 or 17-year-old to go to a party, a high school party? Are you kidding me? And I tell you what, anytime you do trust them, you ought to follow them. <laughs> We've raised three boys, and they know the answer to the questions. And they know when they get there, we're going to call and make sure they made it safe. Because they know the seriousness of sins. Now, our kids aren't geeks. Anybody who knows our kids know they're not geeks. I'm the only geek in my family. I'm the only one. But it doesn't matter what you call it. Holiness is holiness. You can call it any language you want to. You can't mess with your kids' lives by wimping out on being a parent. And it's so important for you to understand you can't mess with your own life by whipping out. You can't handle this thing alone. You can't stand by the tree. You can't. You know, Ben Patterson wrote a book called Waiting. 
And he said he was, he was in the initial stages of learning how to be a mountain climber. And he said he thought he'd take off. There were, there were thousands and thousands of feet up on this mountain. And he thought he saw this one path and he took off and tried to get to this precipice before the rest of the guys did. He said, I should have known something when none of them followed me up there. But he said, I got ten feet from this precipice that would, make, would, 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 would let me be safe. And he said, I got stuck. And the ice started to melt and it became very slippery. And it took about a half an hour for my companions who were experienced mountain climbers to find me. And when they came on that precipice and looked down over, they said, okay, we're going to hammer a couple of slots for your feet. We want you to do two things. Remember two things. First of all, we want you to swing your leg up to that next step. And as you do, swing your arm up and grab a hold of us. But secondly, and this is very, very important, don't lean into the mountain. Keep your distance. Because the farther you lean in, the more likely your feet are to go out from underneath you. Listen to me. Don't lean into the temptation. That is the prideful assumption of Christians that they think they can beat this thing. I can't run from every temptation that comes along. I'll just go right up to it, look it in the face and beat it. Don't you lean in. Your feet will go right out from underneath you. You don't know what you're dealing with here. You haven't realized it if you're still in the area. Back off. Now, what's the solution to this? The solution is, first of all, to plan for an eternal life that starts here. W.E.B. Du Bois was a great black intellectual. He was a writer. And he said, he was a couple of generations past, and he said in one of his commencement addresses at a college, he said, you know, Jacob and Esau, you didn't have to plan for the life of Esau. Esau was a life of appetite. He traded in his birthright because he was hungry. You don't have to plan for a life like that. That life will come by itself. But if you want the life that has an inheritance in the kingdom for that life you have to plan. And that's what I'm saying to you this morning. You can't operate this thing alone. And if you're going to have relationships, you've got to plan for them. And then you've got to take steps toward them. It is our goal in this church for every person in this church within the next few years to have spiritual relationships. And by that I mean someone with whom you converse so that iron sharpens iron, and so that you can have some spiritual accountability. It's also our desire that everyone be trained in intercessory prayer. Let me ask you this. What difference would you think it would make in your life if every day you lived, you had one or two or three other people praying for you all day, just lifting you up in prayer? Do you think that would make a difference in your life? You better it make a difference in your life. We want that for us. We want that for everyone. Because this sin thing is too big to face alone. Now let me say two, two more things. One for the women and one for the men. And then we'll be out of here. Maybe. I don't know how long it will take me. The one for the women is rather brief. Women, I'd like for you to take a look at that passage in Genesis this week. I'd like you to see what she was doing. She got tired of waiting on the man to take the leadership. 
So she decided that she would solve her own problems through her own methods. Any woman that decides she can live life alone will. Now, I'm not saying incapable of living life alone. Everyone ought to be able to function at a basic level. But I'm saying in your mentality, if you have decided that you can live life alone, you will. You know why? Because men need to be needed. And so it doesn't matter whether you're married or not. It doesn't matter whether you're geographically close or not. If you've decided you can handle life alone, that's exactly how you'll handle it. Secondly, not only did Eve say, not say, Hey, Adam, what do you think of this? Think or get this fruit over here. What? Got anything to say? Adam is standing there like a big pickle <laughs> looking for problems to solve. You know how men are. Yeah, solve problems. You got any problems, I'll solve them. Yeah. Any problems come around here, I'm going to solve them. What's for supper? <laughs> Could I suggest to you that it's that very stance that causes so many of your problems. Because you think your job is to solve problems instead of to prevent problems. Man, you've got to take initiative. You can't be close to your family by hanging around in case there's an emergency, by being there in case something goes wrong. What kind of relationship is that? How close are you folks to your 911 attendants? No, you're not, because we don't operate most of life on the basis of emergency or crisis. And that's not how your family operates most of the time. If you are to mean anything to your family, man, you have to take initiative. Leadership is not the 911 mentality. Leadership is planning for the future and getting into a conversation that has not yet been started. It's your job. To do good instead of trying to stave off evil. What would it be like? Let me ask you this. What would it be like for a man to say, you know what, I notice Susie is nine years old now. Wouldn't it be good for us to, to sit down and make a plan of how she's going to date, when she's going to date, who she's going to date, why she's going to date, even though this is years and years in advance. It's, I know it is, but you know why? If we do this, my lovely wife, we will be able to begin to build in her the mentality of what a relationship is all about, of how a relationship can honor God. And so she won't even have questions. I mean, it's not going to be like when, when she gets 17 years old, she'll be calling us up and saying, can I do this? She'll know the answer from the time she was 10. And she will already have it built into her. Do you know what your wife would do if you did that, men? Her first reaction would be, who are you and what have you done with my husband? But her second reaction would be, thank you, that I don't have to carry this entire responsibility by myself. 
thank you that I'm not the one always bringing up the relational problems. Thank you that you have gotten off the log. It wouldn't be good to say this, women. It's good for the preacher to say it. Don't you say this. Thank you that you have gotten off. I'm getting into trouble here. I'm getting tired. My defenses are going down. Anyhow, men, it's so important not to want just to be like a good husband and good father, but to be a good husband and good father. Let me tell you a story and then I'll quit. It's about this, uh, this little boy who, in a, in a bad area of town, he sees this gorgeous car sitting out there for some reason. And this kid just starts going around this car, look at this car. And finally, some adult comes up and he's, and this guy starts to get in the car, and the little kid goes, is this your car? And the guy goes, yeah, my brother gave it to me. And the kid was going to ask questions about the car, but he got fascinated with that comment. He said, your brother gave it to you? You mean he, he gave it to you, no cost, gave it to you, gave it to you? And the guy said, yeah. And the little kid said, man, I wish. And the guy thought, I know he's going to complete that sentence. I wish I had a brother like that. But the little kid continued, I wish I could be a brother like that. Men, you hear that? Pray with me. God, even as I talk this morning, I know that there are so many different spiritual geographies in this room. There are some who are living away from you and they've never trusted in you but they've heard something this morning and the spirit has moved in their heart and they don't want their real world to be crap anymore they want it to be purity and grace and joy and all of the fruits of the spirit and so they, they want to have Jesus forgive their sins and live with you let them right now open their heart and say God I know I'm a sinner I admit it and that sin in me is powerful and it's not something I can overcome by myself. Please come in and wash me clean by the blood that you shed for me on the cross. And take over my life. And there are some in here, God, who are standing right next to a tree. It's their tree of temptation. And they don't have an accountable, accountable relationship. They don't have anybody to ask them about it. Let them hear your voice in mine right now. Get away from the tree. Flee youthful temptations. Get out of there. And as they exit the area, God, help them to hunger for spiritual relationships that will encourage them in ways that let them love other people in purity. And Father, there's the rest of us who just from time to time get fascinated with temptations. God, please interrupt that thought with your Holy Spirit and eventually make that Holy Spirit come more and more in the form of someone who loves us, who will be brave and say to us, so what are you thinking? And God, how good it would be if that someone could be our husband and wife. 
But help us not to wait on that. Help us to build the relationships. With the leadership of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction. May the saving grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit take us now from here to build the real world. Amen.